Amen. What a great example. What a great example. You have a, have a gun is a good example from Wednesday night. Brian did a great job sharing on Wednesday concerning offering, and today you got a big chocolate bar in your head. Amen? <clears throat> but you know what? That's what it takes. God wants us to remember, and, and we, we want to do things uh, on purpose. I've, I've pastored here for a long time, 20 some odd, seven, eight years, whatever it's been that we've been here. And through the years, I've had so many people try to talk me out of the tithe. Well, you know, Pastor, we want to come here, but we don't believe in tithing. Come. So you can believe whatever you want. We're, but, but we're going to teach the tithe. And, and it, you know, one of the things that that always through the years astonished me about people that didn't want to believe the tithe. And, you know, we, we sh- I taught on it, and I'll teach a couple more times throughout the year on it, uh, on the tithe, but I talked about the, the great exchange that's involved, the exchange that was involved with, with, uh, with Abraham and Melchizedek, and the exchange that is involved with Jesus, our high priest, when we understand the tithe. We're not limited to the tithe. You can give everything you have away. You're not limited to that. There's something that you learn in being faithful with something that's small. If you have $1,000 and the tithe is 100 the 100 is small compared to the other 900 and, and what God wants is faithfulness in the little things. And as we learn to do that, there's something that comes out of that that draws us to a life and a lifestyle with God and a connection to believe that God is our source and not what other people can do for us or not the economy. It can be up or down or whatever, but God is my source. There's something that you learn in that that, that's vital for people to get a hold of in this day and hour. Like, I'm telling you what, like never before do we need to understand the revelation of the tithe. It's not something that's forced on us or put on us. You never heard it taught that way in this place, and you never will. It's something that we're giving you information about for you to choose to receive to do. Amen? Glory to God. Well... <clears throat> I'm thrilled to be here, and, I'm, and I've really enjoyed this series entitled Identity Crisis. And we've gone through and talked a lot about what that looks like today and how people are, I, I believe, in, in, in a crisis situation um, where their identity is concerned. And I've, um, I have somewhere, have defined from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, um, there is, <laughs> I thought I had it, instead I have a Geico commercial, <laughs> um, Well, it must have deleted. <laughs> anyway, anyway, identity crisis defined in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary is when you're in identity crisis, you don't know who you are or where you've come from or what your purpose. The definition is phenomenal. Go look at it. I won't take the time to pull it up again. But um, go, go and read that. In the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, identity crisis is not knowing who you are, where you came from, and what your purpose and plan is. 
And if ever before, we live in a world where people are in identity crisis. And you know what, what one of the big issues is, is, is the result of people competing with one another and comparing with one another. Every time you compare yourself to another person or what other people do, most of the time that that happens, you're going to be less as a result of what they've accomplished. Most of the time. And, and truth be told, if you take fruit and you compare it, it would be like comparing an apple to an orange. And, and you, will, you will never, an apple will never measure up to an orange or vice versa because they're totally different. And nobody on planet earth is like you. Nobody. No, nobody has desires and abilities like you, but most people, because they live in this comparison world, most people have never tapped what God's really called them to do. Most people have never tapped into what God created them to be. And, 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 I, and through the years, I have seen that and found that to be so true in the lives of people. And so we've been sharing this and talking about identity and identity crisis and how vital it is that we get past these things and, and tap into God's purpose and plan. And, and, and I'll just tell you this, um, being, being in, you know, living on planet earth, trying to figure out the way to say this, living on planet earth for 57 years and being what the world would consider an older person, not old, but they would consider older, I don't consider that I'm older, I'm just better. I'm better than I used to be. But having lived the years that I've lived and been in the ministry the years that I've been in ministry, what, what I've come across and realized is it doesn't matter where you catch a hold of some things that God has for you. Because actually, all the years of your life, if you're growing and you're developing and you're maturing, you're going to catch hold of specific things in your life that God would have never revealed to you in your life until you were ready to receive them. So in many situations, or probably in most situations, you have to walk through certain things to get ready to receive other things. You, you've got to develop character to, a, to another level so that you won't be destroyed with some of the things that God has called you to do and He desires for you to walk in. And you and I, ha, you and I, everybody in here today, were created for greatness. Everybody say greatness. You were, you, weren't, you were not created to just get by and to be mediocre. You were created for greatness. And it, and it depends on what we choose and, and the lives and the decisions that we make in life, it depends on how, how the choices that we make, how we and if we will fulfill what God had planned for us before we even were. I've said this to you in, in the last three weeks. The Bible says that God had a plan for you and I individually before we even were. I don't know how that's so. That's just the way it is because it says it. I don't, I'm not, I don't argue with it. it. says If it says he had a plan before we were, then he had a plan before we were. And, and those plans can only be tapped through his wisdom and his understanding as we talked about last week. I talked last week about 
three keys. that come from wisdom. And, and, or, or wisdom comes from these three keys. Instruction, correction, and rebuke. Wisdom comes. And when we see in Scripture that what instruction, correction, and rebuke and, and training does is that it makes you and I equipped and ready for every good work. Anything that we've been called to do, we need instruction from the Word of God. We need training from the Word of God. We need to know how, as we've talked about, how to hear the voice of the Spirit because the Word that you hear preached, He wants to take that Word and make it real to you. But at the same time, there has to be correction from the Word and sometimes from other people in our lives. And there has to be even rebuke. And when those... When those are mentioned in the scriptures that we read last week, when those are mentioned, there's not more rebuke and correction that you need versus instruction, but there's not more instruction that you need apart from correction and rebuke. Because what it does is it makes you. And if we don't have those and we don't learn to embrace those and realize how important that they are in our life, then what happens is the wisdom of God is not developed, so then... As it says in Isaiah 1, then we eat the fruit of our own way. See, we make it our own way. We do things and accomplish things best we see fit instead of the wisdom from the Word of God leading us and directing us and guiding us and making us. You know, many times when we as individuals go through difficult times. If we face something that's difficult in life, it could be a financial thing or a a form of a relationship. There may be a loss of a family member. There may be something, just things that are difficult. Many times we go through those things and and people will come out on the other side worse than than when they went through them kind of beat up and battered and feeling, you know, a sense of loss or a sense of defeat or whatever. But God intended for anything in life to make you better. But the key to better is the wisdom of God. The key to things being better is God revealing in the midst of that how big he is. How could you know what it was like to live a life when you've lost a person that used to be here and now they're not here anymore on planet earth? How could you know what that was like until you lived that? But does the Bible say that there's a time to be born and a time to leave? Is, is, is there a time? Everybody say there's a time. So if there's a time, did that shock God when whoever that person was in your life left? Absolutely not. So if God's good and everything about God is good and God leads us and guides us into truth in everything that we go through, then we should come out on the other side of whatever we face better than when we, than when we faced it. And that may take some time to get better. But if we're pressing into him and we're pressing into his kingdom and we're drawing from who he is in us and who we are in him and we're, we're, we're building that on a day-to-day basis, we'll come through anything and everything that we face better. Amen? So, I'm, I'm just, I've got a few passages of scripture to read today but the subtitle to 
my title, Identity Crisis, today. The subtitle is, You Are Not Your Mistake. Should have been S on the end. I probably didn't tell them that. You are not your mistakes. You're not. You are not the result of your mistakes. You were created in the image of God, in His likeness, and God never created a mistake. People make mistakes. But you are, not, you are not the result of your mistakes. So, I want to look at, start out with, in 1 Timothy. No, I'm sorry, James. Not 1 Timothy. <clears throat> James chapter 3. I want to read from verse 13 to 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a question. Who is wise and understanding? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. For this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic. Everybody say, this wisdom. So we see two wisdoms. We were talking last week about how that the Word of God and the wisdom of God are synonymous. You cannot separate God's Word and God's wisdom. You can't separate them. They are. And he's talking about a wisdom... Or a way of thinking that is not of God. So there's the wisdom of God, and then there's this wisdom that he's talking about right here. He said the wisdom, this wisdom, verse 14, look at it one more time. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. For this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist... Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, that's a... That's a pretty intense verse, and there's a lot to that, and there's a lot of thinking that goes into that, but there's not a person here today sitting here at the sound of my voice that has not had to deal with envy and has not thought about themselves versus thinking of other people. So, we can hear that and your first response can be, well, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not that way. No, Don't, don't, don't lie against the truth. The truth is everybody does it. Why? Because of the world that we live in. Doesn't mean we have to, but everybody has, I'll say that. I won't say everybody does that. I'm saying everybody has done it. 
because of the system, the way of thinking that we live in. <clears throat> How many were ever taught growing up that you need to take care of yourself? You need to protect yourself. You need to guard yourself. You need to save for rainy days and protect yourself. I didn't say investments were wrong. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, you know, we were taught to just protect ourselves. Our, our little, you know, group inside of our little picket fence and, and nobody else. We were taught that. So when you come across a scripture like this, it can seem like it's not relative to the day and hour in which we live in. You have to protect yourself. Man, there's terrorists out there. There's this out there. People want to stab you in the back. You go to work and someone wants your job and they want to take it from you and all these kind of things. All kinds of fears. Well, the truth of the matter is, when God is your source, nobody can take anything from you. That's, that's the absolute truth. I mean, we got to get to that place where we believe it, but that's the absolute truth. And he said, where there's envy and self-seeking, there's confusion and every evil work is right there. Okay, so the logical solution is to get rid of envying and self-seeking, right? That's the obvious thing that has to, to happen. Well, that's easier said than done when you're dealing with humanity, right? So would it be a mistake on your part to allow envy and self-seeking to be in your life? Would it be a mistake on your part? Title of my message is, you are not, how did I say it? You're not your mistakes. Keep that. <clears throat> Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is what? Everybody read that word. What does that word say? Four letters. S-O-W-N. What does sown mean? The fruit of righteousness. And we don't, we don't use that word all the time. Some people get kind of intimidated by that word righteousness. So I'm going to define that in a moment. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown. So in other words, righteousness produces fruit, so that means you had to sow something to receive it. Right? You had to sow something. So you're not the result of your mistakes in life. You're not the result of your mistakes. But what you are, you're the result of what you've sown. Whatever's going on in your life today, is the result of what you have sown. Is it correct? Is it right? Righteousness is just what's right. So the righteousness of God is God's way of doing and thinking and operating and doing it that way. So is it right to be envious of another person in the kingdom of God, in God's way of thinking? Absolutely not. So if you've, see, if you've sown seeds of envy... You're going to have the fruit of righteousness, not God's righteousness. You're going to have the fruit of the other wisdom and the other way of thinking, as we just read about. So there's two ways of thinking. So my, my life is not bottled up in all of the mistakes I've made, and that's what the devil wants you to think. 
We've talked a lot about the devil and his voice and how he operates. And, and he has many voices trying to deceive us. And he wants you to focus on, well, you know what? I've not done that. And what, what are you comparing yourself to? To the guy that did. Well, I've not, I've not been successful in my business. And you're comparing yourself to this guy over here that looks like he's successful. And, and well, I didn't, you know, I, I divorced. And so you're comparing yourself to somebody that didn't divorce. Everybody's world and situation is totally different. Everybody has reasons why they do what they do. And I'll just tell you this. The three keys to wisdom and the wisdom of God, which is instruction, correction, and rebuke. Most people are afraid of all three of those. Because they misunderstand it. I told you last week. If you always did everything the Word said, if you always did it, you would never need human correction or rebuke. Because ultimately, what we're after is the Word instructing us, the Word personally, because I go to the Word, and I let the Word instruct me, correct me, and rebuke me. Right? And I, and I gave you an example last week of somebody, uh, of a person that had come and wanted instruction about relationships and some things that didn't work out in their life in the past they had they had a, m- nine miles of bad road and bad decisions that were made and this person came and wanted instructions so they wanted it from us it wasn't me going and saying okay you need to this and that'll never work in people's lives ever but this person came they asked for instruction in the midst of the instruction there had to be some correction why because they'd made a hundred bad decisions over the same thing. Why? Because nobody had ever taught them this. The lack of this causes you to operate in this other wisdom. But then the entrance of His Word brings what? Light and illumination. You begin to see things. You begin to change. You begin to, wow, there's a real another world out there that's not like the way everybody else lives. And we can believe the best of every situation, and we can receive all that God had intended for us before we were even thought about. I don't know how that's, that can happen, but the Word says so, so I believe it. And the more you learn that, then the more you practice what He's talking about, seeds sown of righteousness. So, would that mean that we've got to figure out what the righteousness of God is? Right? And, and I'll just tell you this, the righteousness of God for your individual life is not as much as you think it is. But it is what it is. But it's not as intense and overwhelming as you think it is. I used to think it was a whole lot more intense and overwhelming than I thought. And, and, and I used to think it was horrible. And I used to look at all of the things that I had not done and thought God was mad at me in different ways and that He was not pleased with me because I hadn't corrected this thing over here when in all actuality, the way I see God, and maybe you see Him differently, but the way I see Him is, there's always something He's wanting me to look at. Everybody say one thing. Hold your finger up. Say one thing. 
How many can look at one thing about your life? Not 15 things, not, you know, all the stuff that everybody said, you know, you worthless, you'll never be anything in life because of all these things that you've ever done. You are not your mistakes. If you're born of the Spirit of God, you're the righteousness of God in Christ, and He just wants that righteousness or His way of thinking to evolve, and and what He wants... What, what he wants extracted from you is the other way of thinking, the way of the world, the way of people, the way that people try to convince us that, with, that we are a certain way or that our lives will turn out to be a certain way because, well, nobody's ever done what you're, you're attempting to do. Well, the God in the Bible is the God of the possible. Nothing is impossible with him, but he's the God of the possible. And he will do anything and everything that, we, that, that he said he'll do if we learn how to tap into him and, 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 and tap into his wisdom or his way of thinking. In verse 17 it said, the wisdom that is from above is first pure and it's peaceable and it's gentle and it's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's something that's active in that, right? A person who is sowing, and he's sowing peace, and he's making peace, and he's developing something in his life, it's because, it's because he's learning to yield and submit to one thing. Verse 17 says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, and it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits. As you read that list, and you can add other things in there, as you read that list, could you, could you define in your own life where one of those things are not working? Maybe one of those things are not working in a relationship that you have with another person. Maybe you're not willing to yield to a situation. Bless God, I want to demand my own rights. Well, what is that? That's self-seeking. What is present when you're self-seeking? Every evil work. I don't want every evil work. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was born a certain day. I've figured this thing out. I don't want evil stuff in my life. How about you? So if I'm preaching the word here today, and I just gave you that list, and you were able to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not yielding to that person. I'm not, there's not mercy that's flowing in a relationship that I'm, that I'm dealing with. I'm demanding my own right. And you walk from here, and you begin to practice that, What's going to happen? What it's going to extract is evil that is present. When we think of evil, we think of, you know, maybe the devil and a pitchfork and horns and those kind of things. No, it, it's the opposite of, of the good of the wisdom of God operating around you. It's amazing. You can be selfish about a specific thing, and, and then all of a sudden, all around you, it just seems like this happened, you drop this, your car hit a tree. You, I mean, all, all of a sudden, all these kind of things happen. Why? Because evil is present. And what God's looking for is someone who is willing 
to make a change in something that he's dealing with you about. Now, in most situations, it's going to be issues with other people. Because, see, you wouldn't have problems if you were the only one on earth. The only problem we really have is with people. All these people didn't do all this stuff. You know, my life wouldn't be so bad. It's all them. <laughs> it is. But it's that way in everybody's life. If it wasn't for people, everything would be fine. But God's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us this wisdom that we're talking about today. Because we don't want to be a people walking around, appearing to be, living a life that are the result of the mistakes that we've made. Jesus paid for your mistakes. Can you say amen? Look at, look at this verse in Isaiah 53. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Verse 11 in the Amplified. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge of himself which he possesses and imparts to others. Shall, which he, which it says, which he possesses and imparts to others. Shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, justify many and make many righteous, upright, and in right standing with God, for he shall bear their iniquities and their guilt. So all the mistakes he's already taken on himself. He shall bear their iniquities and their guilt with the consequences, says the Lord. He shall. And he already has. So the guilt and the shame that people try to walk around with or attempt to walk around with on a regular basis, he's already taken. So what he's doing is he's here to instruct us to correct us and to rebuke us. And the, the instruction, correction, and rebuke cause you and I to get our focus and our attention off of wisdom that is demonic and devilish, wisdom and ideas that only create every evil work where evil is present. I don't want evil present. I don't want every evil work to happen and be, and be present around me. But most people... I'm convinced, don't even realize that a lot of the issues in their life is because they've not learned how to tap the wisdom of God. They've not learned to appreciate the benefits of instruction, correction, and rebuke. That's one of the purposes of the church. It's very clear. The Bible's very clear that the house of God, which is the church, which is the body of Jesus Christ, we are to be a people that because we're developing in ourselves, we can help other people out, right? You, you don't want to always just receive correction and rebuke just from anybody. You know, some people that, that, that you know, and, and I'm always, around here, we're always about understanding the people in your life because you don't want somebody that's just mad at the world being ugly to you because they see you making a mistake in your life. But you and I need it. We need it from one another. We need to be able to mature and grow up and be able to give instruction like that and to give 
correction and rebuke at, at, at a specific time. But always looking at ourselves, lest those kind of things come on us. Not judging someone else, realizing that, you know what? This guy's about to fall over a cliff and I need to help him through some instruction. He's fixing to, you know, ruin his life right here. I'm going to bring instruction. Whether, the, whether somebody receives it or not, you're, you're having their best interest at heart. You're not thinking about, well, you know, I'm not going to tell him that. He's just going to get mad and yell and scream at me. Well, whatever. How much do we want it? See, when someone has your back, like Jesus has your back, he has your back, he's the propitiation for your sins, he's the one that stood in for you, and he has us. And he, and he, and he went to all extreme measures to make sure that you and I were delivered and set free. Can you say amen to that? So what he's training us to do is to help humanity understand how to be delivered from the evils that are present because of the lack of the wisdom of God. And the only way that can happen is through instruction and correction and rebuke. And not more rebuke or correction than instruction, and not more instruction than correction and rebuke. All three of those are mentioned in the scriptures that we read last week. All three of those are mentioned the same amount of time in, in, a, in a plethora of different scriptures. And God wants you and I, He wants you and I to know how to embrace this so that we can know who we are in because when I know who I am in Him, I can rejoice with who you are and who you are and who you are. I'm not intimidated. I'm not in competition. I'm not comparing myself here, there, or anywhere else because I know who I am in Him. Right? Now, I, I, wanna, I just want to make this point. I got two, two points I want to kind of pull together here and then I'll be done. In Psalm 92 and verse 12, look at that with me. Psalm 92 and verse 12. And I'm going to read 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to read in the Amplified. For the uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, and what? Fruitful. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic, stable, durable, and incorruptible, planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of their God. When you're planted in the house, you flourish in everything else. Verse 14. Growing in grace, they shall still bring forth fruit. When? In old age. Why? Because what I said earlier, because of what the wisdom of God is doing in their life, they're able to grab hold of the new things that God intends for them. We don't just sit around waiting for God to do something. We're staying active at developing the wisdom of God and the attributes of the wisdom of God in the lives of other people. One situation at a time. One situation at a time. 
One time, years back, I was dealing with a family member of mine, not my wife or my daughters, but just another family member that was irritating and agitating me and frustrating me and, and just, you know, it was like nails on a chalkboard, you know. And, uh, and I had to go around this person and I got, I got around them and I was, I, I was mad before I got there. They didn't do anything. I was just mad. I was just ticked. I was mad. I didn't want to be where I had to be. I didn't want to have to deal with them. I was mad. And how many know when you're mad, you kind of have this thing inside of you that wants other people to know you're mad. See, you're not mad and, and walking through and, oh, so good to see you, yeah. But really, you're mad. No, you're you know, you got the frown, the eyebrows, everybody's got, the, everybody's eyebrows go in different directions when they're ticked, you know, <clears throat> standing up, turned, whatever, and mine were turned in four, four different directions, I'm sure, and my wife and my kids were with me, and, and my wife was helping to instruct me to settle down and whatever, but I was ticked, I was just flat out ticked, and in the midst of this it was a weekend. In the midst of this whole thing, long story short, in the midst of this whole weekend, literally, my life changed. Because what I didn't realize until that weekend is the evil that I was allowing to be present in my own life and in my family's life. I mean, all that would have to happen is a phone call, and I'd get stirred up about it. I'd walk through it, and I'd pray through it, and I'd deal with myself, you know. And when they're not around and I have to look at them, you know, that was one thing. And that, that situation that happened probably almost, what, 15 years ago or more, that situation literally changed my life. Because that day, that day, the revelation wasn't God, he wasn't showing me that passage in James chapter 3, but in essence he was. But what he was revealing to me was 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and it's kind and, and it's not boastful. It doesn't think about itself. It endures. It believes the best at all these things. That's what God began to reveal to me that weekend. And my whole life changed. And what I did was, I took the main thing that was really irritating me about this person and I began to yield to the person of the Holy Spirit to reveal to me how to act and it changed our whole relationship. But you know what, I, you know what it, it caused me to realize is that I had other attitudes that were kind of overshadowed by this really ugly attitude that I had toward other family members that you just kind of tolerate and just whatever. But ever since then, I've been on a journey for over 15 years of making things right with all my family. And, and whether they receive it or not or receive me or not, and now my, my relationship with my family is amazing. All, all of my family, you know, is connected. I mean, you know, family. So you got stuff, right? Everybody's got something or whatever. But every time something tries to arise, I go back to these. Are you willing to do this? Do you want 
Do you want every evil work present in your life and in your family's life? I say no. Amen? And the more, that's what I'm saying. Everybody say one thing. Everybody can deal with one thing in your life. I'm telling you and giving you examples today. God's dealing with you individually about something. And whatever that one thing is, just walk it out. Just allow it to be developed. Just make the alterations and the changes. And, and what will happen is your eyes will be opened up to see, you know what? I didn't realize my attitude there was causing certain things. That's the power of God. That's what instruction and correction and rebuke brings. See, there's instruction, correction, and even rebuke in what I'm teaching today, especially with things that you may have going on in your life and whether you choose to do anything about it or not. See, instruction, correction, and rebuke is not as ugly and harsh as it has appeared to be. What God's trying to get us out of is being ruled by our mistakes, trying to tell us we can't and, and we will never and, and, and this, this can never evolve and you'll never be this because of these mistakes and your attitudes and everybody's looking at you and everybody's judging everything about your life. And I mean... It's overwhelming. The life that we can live, the identity crisis that we, that we as humanity have been in because of our comparison and our competition with people. And God created us to deal with ourselves. And you know, there's not one person at the sound of my voice today that doesn't have something, one thing, that you can deal with and get better at. And when you do it, it's going to make you want to do another thing. And then it'll make you want to do another thing and be better about another thing and another thing. And that's why for your whole life, when you choose to address one thing, what it does is it prepares your heart and, you, and develops your character in such a way that you get, you get ready and more prepared for more of what God has to use you in. Do you realize that most people go to the grave and never fulfill what God purposed for them to fulfill because they wouldn't deal with things that I'm talking to you about today? I'm, I'm convinced of it. God's shown me that. I don't want to be one of those people that leave here and not fulfilling their purpose and plan. Amen? There's a lot I have left to do. There's a lot that you have left to do here. You've got all kinds of things to do. Right? I mean amazing things to accomplish in life. But we can't. You won't fulfill them through God if your heart isn't in a place where you can handle the results of the blessing and the empowerment and all the accolades that go with being blessed by God. Because I tell you what, when you're blessed by God, it causes people to want what you have. I'm telling you. And there's a lot of stuff that goes with it. There's a lot of things that, that, that goes with it. And if the character of your heart can't handle that, God would rather you not receive it than to be destroyed as a result of it. Because I'm telling you, I'm going to say it again to you. The blessing of the Lord to a person that doesn't have the character to handle it can destroy them. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want you destroyed. And, and, and it will be the will of God for you not to receive certain things in your life if you don't take on the task of dealing with one thing all the time. One thing. Not 15 things. One thing. One thing. You know what I've realized about one thing? I, I, how many of you have ever heard me talk about one thing before? Okay, so, so we've said it a lot. 
But, I, but I've just lived that way. And you know, what, you, know what, you know what I've realized is? That when I deal with one thing, the one thing I really deal with that God's telling me to focus on, it may be unforgiveness, it may be my attitude towards somebody, maybe just an attitude in general, you know. Well, one of the characteristics of the love of God is that you're nice. <laughs> There's a lot of unnice people. <laughs> a lot of people that are just flat out rude and ugly. And God didn't want us to be that way. And, and if that's your one thing, you know what I realize? Is that the one thing that God tells me to deal with usually cleans up about ten things. <laughs> it's not as bad as you thought. It was just that you wouldn't deal with one thing. Just deal with the one thing. If it's going to set you up and prepare you for greatness and greater things in life, why wouldn't we want to do it? It's not just doing, correcting something so that I can be great. I can be the next American Idol. You know, no, 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 no. It's not, that's not the mentality. I want to be great in God. I want to be convinced that God created me for greatness and nothing less. Amen? And not live life wanting to be something else, be somebody else, be beat up all the time because of mistakes and all these kind of things that I've made. No, we just read in Isaiah 53. He took that on himself. He made you righteous. Amen? Now, he wants us to act like we're that. And this is the way we do it. Can you say amen?